Welcome, everyone. It's been a fun summer. So we're here live in the uh, green room for Disrupt TV, and uh, we've got some amazing guests. Uh, we're going to them and uh, introduce themselves. I'm Ray Wong with Constellation Research, and I've got my awesome co-host, Bal Ashar, and our wonderful producer, Elle, uh, and we are live here. So before we begin, let's check out where everyone's from. So Anku, where are you from, and what are we talking about today? So I am speaking from this sunny Bay Area here where the sun's shining today, pretty hot, I think, and I work at Rivian. I handle the digital part of it, which connects all the customers and vehicles and chargers together. So if you are hopefully a R&D order or an owner or an R&S waiting anxiously, um, and you go through our flows on how to purchase, how to service, how to charge, um, you will use our platform. I also handle everything for EDV, which is our commercial land. So that's fun times at Rivian. Very, very cool. Uh, good to have you here. It's going to be amazing. And uh, Michael, where are you calling from? What are we talking about today? Uh, yeah, I'm Michael Duffy. I'm the vice president of product at Electric Power Systems. I'm calling from St. Louis, Missouri, and I'll be talking about batteries for aircraft. There we go. Look at this. We are going deep into the electric revolution. So, all right, with that, I'll turn it back to you, L, and uh, more importantly, I'll kick off the show. All right. Three, two, one. Welcome, thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Paula Afshar, I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a World of Digital Giants. Uh, Ray's a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, and CNBC. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWAG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. 
Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with Bala Ashar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, like Dreamforce in a few weeks, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as uh, Bloomberg and, of course, posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. And maybe one day you'll see a second book from him. We'll find out. So, hey, but it's not about us. It's about our amazing guests. And, of course, who do we have to kick it off as we talk about the electrification electric revolution. Our first guest, Ray, is Michael Duffy, who serves as Vice President of Product at Electric Power Systems, where he leads the company's business development and product management units as it introduces certifiable products to the market. Michael comes to EP Systems following an 18-year career, long career, as a leader at Boeing. Uh, Michael led numerous leadership positions at Boeing, Next, Boeing Urban Air Mobility Organization, including percussion lead for Cargo Air Vehicles Program, which successfully demonstrated electric VTOL potential by flying two life-size Star Wars X-wing aircrafts over Disney World a couple of years ago. Uh, Michael is currently the technical director for the Vertical Fl Flight Society, EFS 2022 Forum, which is the Vertical Lift Industry's premier technical conference. Michael uh, currently holds nine patents with six additional patent pending. So we're looking at a 15-time inventor as our first guest. You can follow his company's work on Twitter at systems underscore EP. Welcome, Michael, to Disrupt TV. Well, thank you so much, Vala. Thank you so much, Ray, for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and talk with you about this exciting industry. So <clears throat> let's get started. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and, and you'll look with that experience at Boeing, with experience that you're talking about from your past, I mean, you're now at Electric Power Systems. So what is Electric Power Systems? And tell us about the company's vision, because it sounds like you're in almost every piece of this new ecosystem uh, that's emerging. Yeah, no, it's, that's exactly right. I mean, what we're doing is we're solving a couple of issues right now. Uh, cost of fuel for aviation is going up. CO2 emissions are going up. And I don't know if you knew this, but 80% of the world's population has never flown before because of the cost. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's... So aviation is ripe for disruption. And so what we feel at EP Systems is, is our bread and butter is we power upward mobility. <clears throat> and what that simply means is we provide the power. Our batteries unlock these new sustainable uh, mobility markets for the third dimension, flying over traffic. Um, our batteries are like Legos, so we can build a lot of them but they fit in all different types of aircraft. So for example, <clears throat> we're working with schools that train pilots to use electric aircraft to save money so you can lower the cost to be a pilot. We're working with um, large airlines to develop aircraft that actually can take passengers with electric aircraft. And some of our customers, we've, uh, we've launched some re recent announcements with EV tall companies, which are gonna make those, those vehicles that take off vertically go to the airport and land vertically so you can fly over traffic and we're doing it sustainable. So our batteries can be used for the aircraft, but then once they're done, we take them off and we use them for grid storage also as a fuel charging truck for those aircraft. So basically we're going to do the entire ecosystem from chargers to batteries to enable electric flight. So you've got life cycles here, basically from usage to other types of lower usage to even lower usage to the point where you can keep using the battery until uh, the life cycle, the battery is done, and then you're going to recycle against that. For exactly. Kind of yeah. Problem. In fact, if you look at how it's done today, 
if you're a, if you're in a trainer aircraft and you get down your flight, there's a truck that drives up and fuels your aircraft. Mm-hmm. Our batteries will use a truck that's filled with the older batteries that we've already taken off the aircraft and in second life use them to be like a charging truck. So it actually saves money because during the day when you have peak charging hours, the cost of energy is high. If you store that energy at night and use it during the day, you actually save money. So we're kind of doing we're kind of saving money in two ways with electric electricity and also using second life. Michael, you know, I'm interested to know what what was the inflection point for you when you decided after 18 years you're going to leave an incredibly innovative company, Boeing, to join uh, EP Systems. What, what what excited you most was it was it the again what you mentioned the democratization of flight through electrification of flight, or was it just you admired the founders and the and, and the innovation roadmap? What pulled you out of a successful career at Boeing? Well, that's a good question because actually I was very happy at Boeing. Yeah. Um, and really what did it for me was the, 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 the crossing paths of, of me and EP Systems was a program I worked at Boeing where we made Star Wars X-Wing drones. They were very large. They flew over Disney World. That program, which was really exciting, a lot of fun, I actually met the, the founders of EP Systems and they were the, they, that was the company that built our batteries for Boeing. And so that's how I developed the relationship with the founders. And then the founder contacted me and said, Hey, we got to get this going. You want to come do this? I was a little hesitant, but honestly, like when I, I've been in this industry since at Boeing for about five or six years, the thing that's going to make it all happen is batteries. And that's, I figured the, the biggest impact I'll have is coming over to EP systems and making it happen. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, that is amazing. I mean, when you think about, you know, those innovations that are going on right now at the company, um, you know, what are you most excited about in terms of EV powered aviation? Is it, you know, is it the passenger aspect of it? Is it the cargo commercial part? Is it the drones that are popping up? Is it the new types of transportation systems? Like, what is it that, that gets you excited? Me, the thought of taking a ride over my own house to the airport, flying over traffic, all electric, totally quiet. Darn, I need um, that. Wouldn't I that be cool? That's like the goal, right? Oh, <laughs> and, and, with, uh, and with aviation, we're sort of lagging automotive, right? Because automotive is already like 5% of the U.S. have automotive EV cars. But we think that's actually going to help us take it to aviation, right? All that technology is going to start moving over towards aviation. So we feel like we're like the very beginning of this whole um, industry. And I also think that the key unlock for that is certification. So just like you had to get certified mm-hmm. for automobiles, we have to focus on getting a safe, reliable, you know, FAA certifiable product. And that's kind of where we're focused, right? We've got partners that are industry giants who have certified aircraft before, like Diamond and Boeing, our partners, our investors that um, basically know how to certify things. So taking a new propulsion system into the FAA is something we're going to, we're going to, leverage our partners to do yeah that's a piece. And, and, oh sorry sorry Bob, real quick um, what are we going to do about airspace right like certain <laughs> bridges or certain heights like we can only crash through certain things like these new lanes are going to pop up right um, have those been mapped out so yeah yeah it, in fact the, the there's a huge challenge there and I, and, I, and, the, and the way we have to get around that right now is the currently all airspace is managed by people right so there's a a passenger, there's a guy in a tower telling you, A, go to A to B, go to C. That's going to have to start moving away from one person talking to the tower to an automated system. 
And I think as that technology gets better, we'll, we'll be more likely to see more and more aircraft in the air. Michael, which country will be early adopter? Is it US or is it somewhere like United Arab Emirates or countries that are uh, have an unquenchable thirst for innovation yeah. uh, and, and disruptive innovation? You know, it's 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 that's an awesome question because there are countries right now that are, are taking big steps. Singapore is taking big steps in getting yeah. uh, some uh, electric vehicles in there. They're flying to, to top of buildings. Um, I know Japan's very interested. Um, uh, Australia is really open to autonomy for delivery. And then there's just Europe in general loves electric aviation. They're ahead of us in the U.S. right now. They, their government is way ahead of us in terms of getting more electric aircraft going. They're, they're putting a lot of money into startups. Um, so I would say then there's always like those wild cards like China, which they have sort of different flight rules. They don't have different flight rules, but they have they can control the rules a little bit more tightly. So it, it's really going to be who's the first to certify an aircraft for safe flight. That's the bottom line. So is it going to be like flight taxis that will pop at first to get things in motion so that people are comfortable with it before like the individual you know, consumer or driver actually pops up and gets on the flight? Um, or is it going to be some other area around you know, cargo and transportation? Because the ESA rules, uh, European airspace, I mean, you know, Europeans actually started the regulations much earlier, I think even in 2019. And uh, yeah. that's exactly right. I mean, that's that's one interesting thing that we're working through right now. We have customers that are kind of going through this process of certification of their aircraft. And, you know, YASA and FA aren't necessarily perfectly aligned yet in terms of the regulations. So that's going to be interesting to see who actually wins there. But to your point, I think the 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 major driver will be the one that sort of gets the, the the best market. And I think that market in the in terms of like real live markets is aircraft trainers, right? Because you don't have to fly very far when you're learning how to fly an airplane. Mm. And then there's um, tourists. So tourists love to sort of fly in circular patterns around mountains and stuff like that. So I can see getting comfortable before you fly over a lot of people, you might be flying over probably more like trees and mm. you know deserted areas. So it's a little safer. Yeah, less people, less water. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, if we fast forward a decade, are are we partnering with like Uber Air, where this is more of? Um, uh, I mean, maybe the question is: Is this for the ultra rich, uh, for individuals that want to get to A to B quickly in the most frictionless manner? So, two steps above an Uber Black would be Uber Air, and you have now these you know, flying taxis that could take you from, especially in rural environments, like you said, uh, it could be Texas, it could be, you know, wherever. Um, how do you envision go-to-market with partners that can help scale this and, and allow innovation to, to, you know, grow as fast as possible? I think the idea of electric aircraft is trying to be more for the masses. So the, I think the vision is that there's going to be a much lower cost air travel with electric. And so the cost should be on par with an Uber. I mean, like that's that's the hypothesis. Sure. The few things that have to happen, I would say is one, there has to be a big enough mass adoption. So I think it starts off at a higher cost, right? I think it's gonna be business people going to the airport, that kind of stuff. But as it gets more and more adoption, the price will come down. And I think it's also about what other markets there are besides just transportation? I mean, will there be you know a ton more 
uh, people buying these instead of supercars, right? I mean, obviously the super rich will love to have these kind of things as a toy. Mm -hmm. Some of the companies are targeting that. I mean, some of our customers, they just care about making a really fast, you know, aircraft or really fast VTOL aircraft and others want to make it really low cost. So mm -hmm. the market isn't known. We, we at EP systems get to see all the different, um, markets because all our customers are trying to get in there different ways. Sure. And other than the battery, and of course, the certification and safety hurdles. Is, is there a, a, a technology critical path or key component to make this vision come to reality? Not one thing, but a, a confluence of a few things. So for us, we believe it's really hard to get a battery that is safe, high power and high energy, as well as has a lot of cycles, right? And that's sort of our bread and butter. And we think that's what's unlocking sort of this near-term market for smaller aircraft. But if we want to get to passenger carrying aircraft that are like 50, 100 people, the technology is going to have to continue to get better every year. It's about 3 to 5% improvement in performance every year. So I would say the critical mass point would be 2030 is where the batteries hit about this magic 400 watt hours per kilogram at the cell. It's a technical term for how much energy can be stored per unit mass. And that's the point where a lot of missions today would be easily done at much lower cost. So you're projecting eight years. You've looked at, you've looked at the projection of the incremental improvements in innovation. And in about eight years, we're going to hit a, a milestone where we can achieve most of the solutions that we're proposing and talking about today. I would say eight years, we would see a pretty decent adoption. I think in the next five years, we'll see a lot more of it. You'll see more flight, more flights with electric aircraft and training. You'll see a lot more flights point to point with maybe 10 or less passengers between island hopping, yeah. right? Um, you'll see, and that's the stepping stone where as you get bigger and bigger aircraft, you get more and more adoption, right? Because once you get to 737, that's when you've, that's when you've made it. <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> so you're thinking we can get to the energy density of more than 500 watt hours to power that and have cycles that would at least get you maybe what a thousand flights um we target so at ep systems we think it's at least 2000 cycles to make the business close so we okay and so our current our current sales already do 2000 in fact more depending on the mission so oh. we think 2000 is the number that's hard to do with new technology so for example there's new battery technologies coming out all the time. They might have great power, might might have great energy, but then when you actually start to cycle years, them, yeah. they die in like, you know, hundred cycles. So it's really the technology requires a whole bunch of things that happen simultaneously to get us there. And are bio batteries a, a future option that you think may come about? Or is that like two cycles out, three cycles out? Bio batteries? I, I'm sorry, I actually don't even know what that is. <laughs> uh, Bio-based batteries for biochargers, so using viruses and other pieces to generate. Ah, okay, cool. I don't know. I'm not. You know, that's a little bit above my. I'm an aerospace guy, so I come from the aircraft <laughs> world. So bio batteries is a little above my head. <laughs> yeah, it's above my head too. It's the first time I heard the term. But let me, a term that I am familiar with is software as a service. Uh, that's what my company uh, does, and. Uh, uh, I've heard of energy as a service of play. Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, what energy as a service may mean in the future? Sure, So energy as a service is a very common term used in um, aerospace. So when you buy an engine for like a, a 737, you might pay by the hour 
and the engine company owns the engine. That actually lowers the barrier to entry. It sort of allows the engine company to optimize maintenance, lower cost. What we're doing at EP Systems is, is unique, right? We're doing the same thing, but for battery propulsion. So we're basically going to own the batteries for large schools, and we'll provide them the batteries, and we'll even provide them the charging services. And all they have to do is pay us per flight. So they're making money every time they fly, and then they're giving us a portion of that money. And then we make our money back over time. So what's nice about that is it lowers the barrier to entry for our customers to get into electric in this early stage of the of the uh, market. That's awesome. That's great, man. Hey, before we go, I, I want to catch up on uh, you know what, what's going on with uh, Supernal uh, and their advanced uh, air mobility solutions that are going on. So uh, you guys announced a partnership with them, and we also saw them uh, moving into Miami, building an innovation center and mm -hmm. uh, actually building stuff out there. So talk about this announcement with Supernal, and, and they've been doing some interesting sustainable air mobility solutions. Um, what's that collaboration look like, and what does that look like going forward? Supernal is in it for the long haul. Okay, so Supernal is a subsidiary or a company wholly owned by Hyundai Corporation, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously they're getting into electric cars and everything. And so they're going to have a lot of interest in electric space, but they also want to get into mobility in any form. And electric vertical takeoff and landing is this next step, this next phase, this third dimension. So they partnered with us because we are the leaders right now in sort of electric battery propulsion. And so what, they're, what we're doing is two things. One, next generation batteries, we're working on those right now with them. We have those cells in house, we're testing them, they're lower weight, they're more energy. And then also next generation charging. So like you said, they're moving into Miami, they're also moving into a few other cities soon, building out this infrastructure that any company can use for vertical takeoff and landing ports. So. We would like to be on all those airports, get some data, continue to work with Supernal, and then, of course, we are going to help build them batteries for their aircraft. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. I think I was talking to Jaiwan at CES. Jaiwan, yeah. Uh, Jaiwan, there you go. Jaiwan. Jaiwan, yeah. Yes, from Hunt. Yeah, he's the guy that uh, he's the CEO, and that's uh, some very amazing things that are popping up there. So, he's the former um, administrator for NASA as well, so that was his background. So he's got mm -hmm. a very strong background in aeronautics and very well known in, in, in the aerospace industry. Yes, one of the top folks there. So we're here with Michael Duffy, Vice President of Product at Electric Power <laughs> Systems. Thank you so much for your time. We probably want to have you at CCE, uh, our conference, and uh, talk more about where this future is headed. We're going to be talking about space tech. We're going to be talking about verticals, you know, electrification, of course, uh, all new types of technology on our day one event. So thank you so much for being here, and uh, happy Friday. Thank, thank you, Ray. Thank you, Vala. Very much appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's awesome. You know, to, to, to have an executive lead Boeing, it's got to be exciting uh, innovation that's long lasting. And it sounds like uh, battery technology and electrifying aviation is a pretty cool to place, place to be. Speaking of cool companies and super cool executives, <laughs> our next guest is Andrew Narula, Vice President of Digital Technology at Rivian. And Rivian actually is responsible for the strategic development of Rivian's digital ecosystem. Anjo leads teams building products and architecting systems across the technology stack, which has her overseeing a wide range of initiatives from Rivian.com to charging software in order to best serve Rivian, both B2C and B2B customers. With more than 20 years of experience, Anjo started when she was six, uh, in product development, technical management, and software, software architecture, uh, Anjo is passionate about technology and building products that are simple, scalable, and engaging. 
Uh, you can follow her work in a great company on Twitter, at Rivian, R-I-V-I-A-N. Welcome, Andrew, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Ella. That was a mouthful. <laughs> I'm not that young. This started so the, it is the best introduction in the world. <laughs> I tell you, every, every introduction from Vala. I, I, I got to get like a good intro from Vala on the show. It would be amazing. So, but hey, as Vala mentioned, like leaving good companies and going somewhere else is, is really, mm -hmm. it has to be an awesome opportunity. And for you, leaving from eBay to PayPal to Rivian, each of these companies have a unique business model uh, and a digital strategy. So, uh, and so you've had an opportunity to do things in different ways, but now you've had the opportunity to build something from scratch, ground up. Tell us more about how you've taken those lessons to create Rivian's digital strategy. Yes, so eBay was very different. eBay was all about marketplace, trust the buyers, people are good. PayPal was you know, a wallet in the cloud before cloud was a thing. And um, Rivian is different, right? PayPal's concept was pay a pal literally and make it easy. Coming back, coming to Rivian, very different. So the lessons particularly I learned is around how to build product, right? Um, how to put products at scale, right? From cloud, from a SaaS-based, when, when I was at PayPal, it was all SaaS-based on-prem. There was no construct of a cloud. You have to have your own data storage, data centers, and so it was same at eBay, right? So it's all about migration. You know, we have to optimize for fee, but the rest of the time, the servers are just lying there, right? So when I, um, it was interesting. It was a very interesting journey in both those companies. Learned a lot, love those companies even today. <laughs> then I came to Rivian and we had the opportunity to do cloud first, right? Since it was built from scratch, everything is on the cloud. This point in time, you know, it's really a pure digitally native. We could go native, full on native customer experience in our brand. And um, how to scale for peak, you know, how to measure our performance, how to be in different you know, footprints, how to have disaster recovery right from, and we had to think about all those. And we, I learned all that from me and Paywell, and that's what I, uh, we did. And then we started this journey. It's been, it's been a very fascinating journey. That's awesome. Well, you're on a rocket ship. And, you know, the EV market is young, um, only 3% of the world uh, you know, our electric vehicles. So we're at a very early um, stage of this this market, this sector. Uh, your company, well, a few years ago, only four years ago, had 250 employees. Now you're up to 9,000. So again, an incredible success rocket ship that you were part of. Uh, can you talk to us about you know an early industry and where you see the future of digital services at a company like Rivian? Uh, do you see similarities like what the iPhone did to the phone industry in 2007 or Facebook did to the social industry in 2004? And, and Rivian, again, a young company that's that's has had amazing success in, yeah. in, in only a recent, recent few years. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's at the very beginning, right, at this point in time. So entire brand for it is carbon free world, right? So we can protect it for the next generation. And that's mm -hmm. what it's all about. And if I see it, how do we make it easy for people to work, play, travel, right? From your vehicles, right? So today, 
you want to shop from your vehicle, do it. You want to do a Zoom meeting or a team meeting or a Google Hangout if you want to, do it because it's a connected, it's a connected vehicle, right? And that is what the expectation is. Now, if we want to, right, I personally would not do <laughs> Zoom calls. I do enough all day long. Um, but if need to, I have done it, right? I have done it too. And it's it's phenomenal from that perspective. I think we have it has to make it easy for people, right? Most people in EVs, they still have range anxiety mm. at this point in time. That's the first question. What is the range, right? How long does it take to charge, right? Our charging network is is not that is not there yet across the country right so until that's all democratized and that is everywhere it will change right then it becomes easy so i don't have to worry about hey i have to go from a to b let me go find out the working charges along the way yeah. so i can route my trip right we need to we need to remove that barrier across industries across all evs that means we need a standard right which rivian uses and that's what we need to do this point right moving forward i think it will it will become right that every ev has to interplay with each other right mm. um in terms of how what customers will ask for it right they want it simpler and simpler and through software we can pretty much do everything that we want to some people are not ready for it some people are ready for it right so i think yes. it will make, make a dramatic change how long are we talking? Five years, 10 years, 15? When do we see standardization where I could have four, five, six, 10 different EVs uh, charged at the same station? I think it'll happen within five years, right? Some okay. parts of the world, I think it'll happen because most of it, if you look around the world, right, there is standards already being placed. Some EVs are using that standard, some are not, some are proprietary. But in Europe, right, it's, it's it's there already, right? In in APAC, it's getting there. In US, we're trying to get there. Our is an open standard that we use. Everybody can charge on our L2 and L3 networks eventually, right? But I think it will get there. And with all the government funding which is coming to the US, it's the law literally just got signed. I think it will just push the entire industry, entire community for EVs to really get there. Right? And of course, it, it's helping that the states are saying no more ICE vehicles, right? Right. So if you, right. right? States are passed, have already passed the laws um, to say no more ICE vehicles until 2030 at the most. We are in 2023, right? Yeah, and yeah. suddenly you see yeah. so many EVs out there in the market and all large, older established OEMs, yeah. their new products are all EVs. So so I say about five years. Yeah, I think about eight countries have agreed to 2030 or even more aggressive 2025 in some Nordic countries like Norway, I believe 60% of cars, new cars that were sold were electric last year. So they've passed the ice tipping point or, or the EV tipping point in the Nordic countries. So uh, for sure uh, in parts of the globe, I absolutely agree that five year timeline makes Makes total sense to me. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, yeah, no, we're definitely seeing that. And and as you know, mentioned, right, you know, we got software standards here, like, you know, what you're talking about on the uh, open charge point, open charge, like point protocols. We've got other technologies that are popping up all over the place, right? Uh, and, and so, I mean, would you say you're more of a tech company than an auto company today? Absolutely, right? Absolutely, right? So, Rivian, we aim to create products that, you know, empower others to take an active role in 
protecting our planet. Really, right? That's what we stand for, right? So most people know us, hey, we have an urban tea, I have an urban S, we have our EDVs for Amazon right now, but we also have a whole slew of other services, right? So case in point, we have chargers, which is level two and level three. Level two is what we call as a waypoint installed. We opened up our first three RAN, which we call as level um, level one fast chargers. It, as well, those are launched and more coming soon, right? Then you talk about um, our fleet operating system, right? That is a platform that manages our vehicles, chargers, you know, at performance, it tells about diagnostics, how our DSP is driving as you're delivering packages, right? And any large scale fleet can use that. We announced that not too long ago um, and it's being used today, right? Like lastly, it's around ADAS, right? Which people, which is autonomous driving, self-driving which is really enables our drivers, you know, it's about safety or improves drivability. So I think a lot of it is done through software, right? So it's, yeah. I, I would say that. Software is cool. Uh, it was an Anderson Horowitz yeah. about a decade ago, software is eating the world. Uh, I, I agree with that. Um, my, my company also not only agrees that software is great, <laughs> but uh, platforms are great. Uh, you know, we have, I don't know, 8,000, uh, companies that have built their abilities on our platform. And I like to think that when the sum of the value of all the things on top of your platform is greater than the platform, that's when you have something uh, to, to brag about. So my question to you is, how is it, how is it different building a, a platform versus building a service? Yeah, so, okay, very, very simplistic, my view, right? So platform is nothing but a collection of services. This is oversimplification and probably, uh, you know, not doing justice, but really platform is a collection of services which enables you to do things, right? So let me take an example, right? If you log in into our mobile app, that it will invoke a service which will identify you and authenticate you. Right? Now, if you go through the entire purchasing journey, that is thousands of services being invoked, which will let you verify your address, right? Do your registration, do your insurance, do your payment, schedule your delivery. Now that is a platform, it's a purchase platform, simplistically, right? And um, and that's how I've defined that, like from a very, very high level, the differentiation between the two. So you look, so you look at Arabian customer journey, uh, pre-acquisition, post-acquisition, and along the, the, the Rivian customer journey, you identify these moments of truth where service software uh, can help deliver value to the Rivian customer at, 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 at the speed of need. When they need something, there's a service there that can, uh, that can engage uh, with, with the client and ensure that they have the best possible experience. Is that the real power of aggregating all these services so that you can serve your clients in the most personalized, fastest, most frictionless way? Correct. Yeah, that is our goal. Yeah, you know, it is, the company is still, we just launched it last year, earlier this year, right? We started delivering, right? So that is our goal. Are we there yet? Absolutely not, right? There is lots of improvements we need to do sure, sure. in order to get there, um, in order, but that is absolutely the goal, right? 
so if I very easily put right, customer is going through their journey, vehicle is going through their journey, right? right? How they come both blend together and the touch points in which we engage, right? We are digital first, it's direct to consumer brand, and so it is for even our fleet side, right? So how do we merge it all together and make it easier and simpler for you to know what's happening, you know, and you know, once you have taken ownership, then it's all about ownership. Right? How are you engaging? Thanks. Yeah, no, no, that ownership is here and that ownership uh, across the board and that ownership experience is one of the things that we do keep seeing, you know, why this is important. Uh, when you think about this, right, and you think about all the different lessons as you enter different markets and as you've thought about, you know, the, the way adoption occurs, right, just as you talk about what happened at eBay with commerce, right, PayPal with payments and you know, in the cloud and digital wallets and identity, um, uh, where where does where do we sit right now at the beginning of this uh, car revolution, EV car revolution? Uh, is it uh, is it somewhere? In, and I'm going to take something from Michael as well, uh, talking about you know the way new transportation modes are popping up. Like we got new transportation modalities, we've got automation that's actually happening, yeah. right? And we've got uh, new experiences that are coming together. What does that mean? Like where are we on the world of the uh, EV? Uh, I think it's very it's early. Right. So, you know, some companies have been here for a long time and they set the wave. So it is easier for everybody to adopt. But I think the tipping point is happening about now. Right. That's how I feel. Right. Even if you look around in the world, right, it's just it's just starting to tip over to say. But like I think the important part is that you have to make customers comfortable with owning it. Mm. Right driving it every day, doing what, whatever they, wherever they want to go. Yeah, no, you, you sparked something in the back of my mind. The reason I'm thinking about this is because um, when we look at what's happening with flight and what we're looking at happening with, with uh, uh, vehicles as well, um, we're actually going to create the new set of exoburbs, right? I mean, once automation comes in, right, the autonomous driving allows people to look further and further away, um, get to less density, create new things. We have new hubs and spokes. I could, like, you know, go to sleep in my Rivian and wake up in, like, San, you know, like in San Diego for, for you know, for, for a job, right, interview, right, or for, for, you know, for my client appointment, right? It's going to create whole new types of lifestyles and modalities. And just like with flight, right, that level of automation, the same thing. I just pop in, I show up, next thing I know, I'm in Kansas City, right? I'm in like uh, St. Louis, you know, I pop yeah. There. yeah, because if you uh, look back, so if you look back, yeah, like railroad, right? Mm -hmm. Look how much that changed, right? Flights, how much that changed, yep. right? So I think it's just it's just a leapfrog. At this point, like every advantage, sure there are challenges along with it, but that's that's how that's where we are. We are, we are early. I think we are getting to the tipping point right now. I uh, am a member of an automotive advisory uh, board with about uh, 30 some odd automotive manufacturers uh, that are part of this consortium. And, uh, you know, lately the discussions have been about the, uh, the experience per mile and uh, how screens are the new horsepower. And as there's more autonomous capabilities in cars, we will see more interactive screens inside the vehicle not just for the driver because by law 
you only have about a two second span when you can transmit information to a driver for safety reasons, even with heads up display. So it's more for passenger experience, perhaps in a ride sharing vehicle. And a lot of discussions about headless commerce where you essentially in your car can order goods and services, right. voice enabled. Yes. And uh, the average adult in the US pre-pandemic had a 51 minute uh, commute. We're getting back to those 51 minute commute averages. And, and uh, so there's a lot of time spent in the vehicle. Uh, given the fact that you're a software connected, intelligent vehicle, do you believe that the car is essentially the largest uh, mobile device we have and all of the functionalities that we enjoy in a, on our phones, smartphones, will have inside the car and it'll be hands-free, it'll be voice enabled and you have this uh, ubiquitous way of engaging with a marketplace of vendors perhaps where you can order your Starbucks coffee as you get close to one and your, you know, your digital payments are there and all you have to do is just drive by and pick up and you just spoke to your car. That's all you did. It was effortless. It does. It's just, it's just another IoT device, right? Yeah. People, right? Before phones came by and you were all walking around with you know, computers in our pocket and yeah. instant information. So be it right now. The thing is, it is choice to the customer which device that they want to engage through. Right. And some people like to use laptops. Some people can just live off a phone and some people might choose that I can live off my vehicle. Right. I've got all access points of information and ease of information. Plus, it can take me from A to B. Right. Right. right? And, and it's all sustainable. So it depends, you know, what what customers will choose to use. Right. And given the sustainability focus of Rivian, I, you know, I, I can imagine at some point, there's a marketplace of ESG leaders, yes. companies that are actually not just speaking about it, but are, are active stakeholders. And if there is a, you know, a, a Rivian digital assistant that can guide the drivers to the highest ESG scored companies in that marketplace, you essentially have a revenue sharing model where if I recommend a coffee from a store that only uses you know, recyclable material, uh, Rivian should potentially be able to revenue share in this trusted marketplace of ESG leaders. Um, you know, I know I have a 19 year old who drives. She would love to give her hard earned dollars to companies that she admires based on their culture and their core values. So, uh, you know, this connected car could really, uh, I think, uh, eventually benefit companies that have the same ethos as, as Rivian. Absolutely. That's a fantastic idea. <laughs> it is a fantastic idea, right? And it will happen, you know, in due time, right? So a lot of people perhaps know or don't know, uh, we did announce a turbine outside our plant at Normal, you know, which will, when it's operational, it's one of the biggest ones, wind turbines, and it will power, right, our first charge to the vehicles as soon as they come out of the plant. Awesome. Yeah, um, so it's it's pretty remarkable, and it'll happen. You're not you're not short on battery storage, so I think you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's terrific. That's terrific. Really fun. We are talking about the electric uh, electrification revolution that's going on here with Anshu Narula, Vice President of Digital Technology at Rivian. You can follow Rivian at R I V I A N, but more importantly, uh, check out uh, their new vehicles. Uh, you've got new vehicles popping up. And of course, folks are taking orders for R1Ts and R1Ss. So uh, thanks a lot for being on the show and happy Friday. Thank you both, Bella. Amazing on, on the show. Thank you. Cheers.
Wow. Um, this is happening, Ray. I mean, uh, electrification of transportation industry across the board is uh, it's happening in our lifetime. Uh, and it's pretty, pretty well, I, I, you've been an EV owner for a decade or, or as long as I've known you. So, so super early adopted. I mean, literally a decade, right? I mean, did you buy your first Tesla? My first delivery in November and uh, 2012. And for a car in 2007, I put $5,000 down, never thinking I'd ever get my money back. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, this is never happening. Yeah. Uh, but it's been great to see all the different options along the way and all the different choices. And, you know, it's, it's, that's amazing. That's amazing. I've never had a pure EV. I've had a hybrid and it was great, great savings, great fun. Um, Range uh, shouldn't be an issue uh, anymore. I think most of these cars are 250 and greater. 360 miles to 400 miles per charge. Yeah. I mean, you can get around. I mean, you're not limited. It's not like back in the days of like some of the earlier ones uh, where you only had like at a range of 80 miles. And so, so yeah. we're definitely seeing that. Battery technology is getting better. The densification of batteries, the modularity of batteries, as uh, you know, as Michael was talking about. I mean, it's happening there enough to get a plane up, right? I mean, think yeah. about that. So. That's and, and you know you covered this space well. Do you think it's uh, do you think it's autonomous AI capabilities or the battery that will ultimately separate the the winners and the losers? Um, how much does autonomy come into play into the equation of that? Separate that and the modality. I would say that for flight, the autonomous uh, flights are going to be a lot better because there's less noise in the air. Um, there's less distractions. So, I mean, it's, it's highly more likely I can get from point A to point B easier. Yes. For autonomous vehicles to work uh, the way we want them to work, uh, that level of precision is really tough because the liability is either on the network or the operator. Um, not on the driver and that means we have to be like 99.9 .9 with like probably nine nines right uh, to know that something bad is not going to happen and so so that's going to be a little bit harder i think in the air i mean there's still enough uh, guided assist and other things that can happen but you know you, you'll probably get to level of autonomous like taxis in the air are probably faster than in the car only because you know the lanes are pretty open right we, yeah. we know what airspace looks like you know there you might have a bird strike okay that's about the craziest thing or lightning that can happen to you but it's mm -hmm. not like you know, a great example, like when you're we're in countries like India, right? You got cars going in opposite directions. You got <laughs> highway. With yeah. the car. Autonomous vehicles in India is a long, long way. <laughs> <laughs> work everywhere, right? Or in that yeah. kind of densification, like you're sitting in a stall yeah. in Indonesia, or or you're in the streets of Portugal, like in Lisbon, where the you know it's suddenly it goes like boom. You're like, oh wait, right. you got a little narrow on me. You know, like all those kind of things are, are, are different factors. So. Yeah, but you know, highway highway driving outside of super dense populated countries or cities you know we talk about mumbai or mexico or, or la <laughs> you know it may be hard but, but uh, generally speaking you know I, I i recall musk talking about the code for level three four autonomy is done it's just getting the cameras and certifications and as far as the logic it's 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 you know and it may be you know midway maybe level three only but but generally speaking, it, it's, uh, you know, for less populated parts of the world, it could be very much a reality. I mean, you own a fairly new Tesla. How often do you use your autonomous capabilities on the Tesla? Well, we use them a lot, right? I mean, it allows you to potentially do other things. I won't admit to the <laughs> on air, um, but, but, but you also see on the trucks, right? 
like the trucks on the interstates, that's a great use case of autonomous yeah. vehicles, right? You're doing long haul interstate point to point, yeah. right? Not too much can happen. You're not like in the city. There's no pedestrians walking in the middle of the road. You might get like a deer, you know, or something else sure. you get in a place, but, but that, that's really where, where that future is. But it is crazy, man. We are in the midst of that electrification. And it's uh, amazing. You know, it's amazing. Different, uh, this market evolved so much in the last decade. So. Really, really fascinating. And I have a 12 year old. So by the time he's out of college 10 years from now, I can imagine, you know, uh, what are the license requirements for driving and what's what's air travel going to be different for him, especially if it's shorter commutes. And will there be Uber Air where uh, you can go from, you know, urban areas to downtown and just okay. land at a just yeah. on the commute, right? I mean, I, I've got a keynote at the New York Stock Exchange and I, I got to be able to get home in time for a personal thing. And I've literally got to be able to get to from New York Stock Exchange to New York Airport. So I'm leaving at two in the afternoon to get to a 3.30 flight, right? The only way I can do that right now is by helicopter. Ideally, there should be like a VTOL pad, pad somewhere in Wall Street. There used to be one for helicopters that would just drop me at the airport. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm in, yeah. right? I that would be right now, right? As someone like you and I, some folks, as you and I go to New York City quite a bit for meetings. And uh, yeah, it's the new LaGuardia Airport is pretty cool, though. A step function improvement from from uh, from the older older version. Uh, but still, now you got a long walk to get to a gate. Uh, so, you know, there's good and bad. OK, <laughs> yeah. <Keep going. laughs> yeah. next week is episode 291. Uh, we have four guests next week. We have Brian Solis, Global Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce, eight-time best-selling author and keynote speaker. We have Hamza Khan, partner at McKinsey & Company. We have yeah. Mei-Ling Fung, co-founder and chair of People-Centered Internet. And we have Michelle Segar, PhD and author of a book, The Joy Choice. Choice. So four extraordinary guests. Uh, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. We look forward to seeing you next week on episode 291. Thank you, everyone.